The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's Friday, October 6th. It's the PFT PM Podcast. Have a guest today coming up in just a few minutes. Derek Johnson fixture on the Kansas City Chiefs since he was a first-round pick back in 2005, and he keeps going strong. Recovered from a torn Achilles tendon, suffered late last year, and right in the middle of things again, literally, for the Chiefs. Inside linebacker, four games, four starts, four wins for the Chiefs. We'll talk to him coming up. I'll talk about a few other things before we talk to Derek and a few things after. I'll look back before and maybe a look ahead after. And I want to look back on Thursday night. Thursday night football, a good game, but the Buccaneers did Buccaneers things. The team that is like the kid trying to learn how to ride a bike, starting to get that balance, but wobbling and crashing, and that's what they did. Still disappointed by that last play of the game from the 19. Chris Sims really put it best today on PFT Live that Jameis Winston facing a three-man rush with eight guys, and I went back and looked at it, eight guys were either inside the five at the goal line or in the end zone. They sent five guys straight down to the goal line, three receivers and two tight ends, and Jameis, instead of letting it develop and maybe hoping someone popped free, because those eight guys aren't just going to stand there. They're not like you know fixtures. They're going to move. So somebody's going to maybe move the wrong way, take the wrong step at the wrong time, and a guy's going to spring open. And for a defense that has had serious communications issues this year, why don't you let it unfold a little bit? I mean, I guess the idea was just a quick surprise, catch it at the two and carry it in. But the problem is O.J. Howard, the guy who was the target of the pass, didn't get the memo. And he wasn't looking. If anything, it looked like it was thrown to a Patriots player. So it was an ugly way to end the game. It was a great effort by... The Buccaneers, for the most part, but it came up short, as it always seems to do when they have an opportunity for a signature win. I got an issue with the onside kick decision. We talked about that earlier today. I haven't written about that at PFT yet, but I need to because I don't know why you kick an onside kick there with 2.09 to go, the two-minute warning to stop the clock, and one timeout. You can kick them deep, and you can pin them, and you can get the ball back with an opportunity to drive in position for Nick Folk to miss another field goal. So I guess I just answered my own question. But the whole goal was to get the ball back. You you prefer to get the ball back and only need three to win. You don't want to have to score a touchdown, obviously, unless your kicker is Nick Folk. Oh, by the way, Nick Folk apparently is going to be on the way out. They're bringing in kickers reportedly for a tryout. Tony Dungy had a great line this morning. I... I asked him, would you ever bring in kickers just as a warning to your kicker? Not with an intent to sign one and dump your guy, but just as kind of a one last chance. Like, hey, I'm going to turn this car around, kids. I really mean it. And Tony said, you don't need to give him a warning. He got a warning from 60,000 people last night. And Tony was absolutely right. Oh, one last point about last night's game. I, I had been railing about a pass interference call 
not pass interference, intentional grounding. I'm used to railing about pass interference. Intentional grounding call that wasn't made, that wasn't even discussed, wasn't even mentioned by the CBS broadcast. Jameis Winston, in order to avoid a sack in the end zone and a safety that would have put the Patriots up 18-7, to he fired that ball 16 yards down and at least five yards out from where Cameron Brait, his tight end, was standing. The official in the vicinity pointed to Cameron Braid as if to say there's a receiver in the vicinity, but I, it's a broad definition of vicinity, and apparently that's how the NFL does it. I, I'm told that based upon the way that the league applies the rule, that it really wasn't intentional grounding. Quarterbacks are allowed to throw the ball out of bounds over the head of a receiver as long as the receiver is positioned outside the numbers. It's the same premise as dumping the ball into the ground toward the feet of a player when there's a screen play that gets broken up. And that's apparently been the interpretation for a long time. If the receiver is outside the numbers, it's not a foul. If there is no receiver outside the numbers, it is a foul, and it makes no difference how far away it lands. He just can't launch it into the stands. Now, he nearly did. And I don't, I don't accept that interpretation because that's not the rule. See, that's one of the problems I have with the NFL rulebook. The rule as written versus how the rule gets applied. The rule says that you have to throw it in the direction of, and it has to land in the vicinity of, a receiver. And inside or outside the numbers isn't in the rule book. If you want it in the rule book, take it up with the competition committee and put it in the rule book. Put, put a, a, a clause in there that if the receiver is outside the numbers, then you can fire it anywhere short of the front row of the stadium. So I still got a problem with it because that tells me it wasn't just a bad call. That tells me there's a flaw, an an intentional and deliberate flaw that the officials have put into this and the NFL has allowed to exist, which creates the potential for confusion, inconsistency, and ultimately conflict with the rules as written. I, I got a big problem anytime rules are not applied as written. And if you've got a problem with the way the rules are written, there's a process for changing the way the rules are written. I got myself all worked up about that. Cam Newton issued his apology on Thursday night. And and look, look, there's a lot I have said. There's a lot I could say. I really do think he tried to draw a little attention away from the game by dropping it in the first quarter. Like, hey, remember me? I beat the Patriots just a few days ago, the team that you'd otherwise be watching right now. And I'm going to beat the Buccaneers twice later this year. I'm Cam Newton. Pay attention. I got something to say. And I think he wanted to get it out there because I really do believe that come Sunday when he's asked about it after the game at the press conference in Detroit after the Panthers play the Lions, I think he's going to try the old Bill Belichick that's already been addressed. He's going to refer to his apology. He may even start with an opening statement saying, I'm only going to talk about football. I've issued my apology. I've got nothing to say about Wednesday. I'm happy to answer any questions you have about the game we played today. And see, if that's successful, he never faces the follow-up questions he didn't face on Wednesday when the reporters in the room were so dumbfounded by what he said, they didn't ask the obvious Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Funny how? What's funny? What's so funny about a female reporter asking questions about pass routes? And I guarantee you, that press room is going to be loaded with people, male and female, who are ready to cross-examine him the way that he wasn't cross-examined on Wednesday. And I think what he did last night, in part, was a way to avoid it. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone close to him 
finally, in an effort to advise him to do what he should have done Wednesday night, Tony Dungy pointed that out today. Tony Dungy said if he was the head coach and he heard about it, he would have said, oh, no. And then he would have gone and found him and said, you got to make this right, right now. Part of that effort to convince him 24, hour later, 24 hours later to do it, I suspect, don't know this, but I suspect somebody said to him, hey, Cam, if you do this now, then you probably can avoid having to talk about it and answer tough questions about it on Sunday. But he should, he should face tough questions about it. There should be, you know, we can say anything we want, right? But if it's tested with questions, then it either withstands or it or it crumbles. That you know, last night, Deion Sanders and Bill Cowher at halftime were analyzing the apology because it came during the first quarter. They had to address it, and and Cowher, you could tell, wasn't happy about it. But he said that Cam Newton's going to have to to prove this by actions moving forward. I don't know what actions. I. I Actions? I don't know what actions, what, what what would his actions be? What could he do to prove that he doesn't believe the thing that he told us all he believes? His mistake was to let us all know what he believes. So I think the action is submit yourself to an aggressive cross-examination by reporters, answer every question that they have. Those are the actions. I got nothing to hide. Ask me anything. And we'll see if his responses to those questions hold up, or if they don't, then the reasonable conclusion is what he said Thursday night was just a con job. And if he refuses to answer the questions, then I think somebody needs to point out he's afraid. He's afraid he's going to start talking and the truth is going to come out again. Because that's what happened Wednesday. Started talking and out came the truth. Oh, 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 I made a mistake. Sorry. Sorry to reveal the truth to you. Let me go back to when I don't reveal the truth to you. Let me go back to a controlled setting where I can say whatever I want and try it as many times as I want until I'm happy with it. All right, enough about that. We're going to talk to Derek Johnson, Chiefs linebacker, and then I'm going to give you some of my thoughts on what, what could be and hopefully will be a great Sunday of football action. Joining us now here on the PFTPM podcast, a guy who has been a fixture for the Kansas City Chiefs since he was a first-round pick Back in 2005, linebacker Derek Johnson. Derek, how are you, pal? Doing pretty good, thanks. You know, you are a member of a shrinking first-round class. Do you keep track of the other first-round picks from 2005, other than the one you play with? You know what? It's <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm probably a little bit too old to keep up with them now. It's, <laughs> uh, it's been a while ago. Uh, uh, but I, I, I'm, I do see class here and there uh, at time my draft class in 2005 around town sometimes or in different cities but um, I'm very grateful and blessed to, to, to still be playing this game yeah one of five guys from the first round that year Alex Smith obviously your quarterback Pac-Man Jones Thomas Davis Aaron Rodgers and Derek Johnson still going strong and that was a bad first round as it relates to the other guys but you five have stood out clearly above and beyond the others. When you started playing 13 years ago, did you have any aspiration, any goal to last as long as you have? You know what? Um, the, the, way I, the way I took it on uh, by trying to uh, have success in this league is, is, is to uh, conquer, the, conquer where I was at that moment, meaning uh, be the best player I can be uh, as my first year and getting better as my second and third and fourth and so on. Uh, but you look back, it, it, it adds up. So uh, I've, done, I've done a great job by playing and, and, and being uh, um, in the moment 
and uh, I'm, I'm still doing it to this day. So uh, I hope I can keep playing at a high level. Do you think at all about how many more years you'll want to play, how many more years you'll be able to play? You know what? I, I, I take it year by year. Uh, I, you know, uh, I don't want to put a number on it. But uh, am I am I in the middle of my career? At the end of my career, I'm probably at the end of my career for sure. But uh, I'm still playing at a high level, so we'll take it year by year. But I have no uh, aspirations into uh, uh, retiring anytime soon right now. We hear all the time all the things that Tom Brady has learned over the course of his career about how to prepare his body, how to do things differently. How differently, Derek, do you do things now than you did them when you were a young player? Uh, much different. I'm actually on my way to a massage now. <laughs> it's one of those things. I get uh, a couple massages a week. Uh, I go to the chiropractor. I get uh, um, I get dry needling. I mean, I do a lot of stuff uh, to my body to help me perform on Sundays. And and you have to just because football is very taxing on the body. And uh, if, if if you don't take care of your body, then uh, it won't take care of you. You know, your body's your money maker. And I look back over the course of your career, the number of games you've played each year, really, but for the two Achilles tendons, you haven't missed a lot of time in the NFL. I mean, you've been able to suit up and go every Sunday for the most part, but for the two major injuries you've had. That is, that is correct. Um, my, tenth, my tenth year in the league, I popped my Achilles, and at the end of my twelfth year, uh, I popped my Achilles. But other than that, I've always been on the field, uh, uh, doing what I love to do, play football. So I, I'm, I'm very grateful and I, I'm humbled to, to be still playing in this league. How, how have you advised Eric Berry, your teammate who popped his Achilles week one this year, and how has the team reacted, the defense especially, to his, his absence? You know what? It, it's hard losing a guy like Eric Berry. He, he's a special, special kind of player. And, uh, uh, and for me... I, I popped two Achilles, uh, and I, I promise you the things that uh, Eric Berry, Berry has went through, has gone through, Achilles is nothing for him. He's going to come back better than ever. And, and that's not fair to say, but we just know Eric Berry, uh, he, he stands tall when it comes to dedication and hard work, and uh, he'll be just fine when he comes back. How frustrating is it, though, to have a moment like that, that one little area of your body where there's, I don't think there's anything you can do to prevent it. It just goes. How frustrating to have put in all that work in the season, whether it's early in the season like it was for you the first time, late in the season the last time, and just have it all end at that point. Well, how do you process that mentally when you know it's done? You know what? It's hard. It's very hard because uh, nobody ever thinks about the Achilles tendon. You just never think about it. It's just something that's that's there, but I tell you what, if you don't, if that's not connected, your body's not connected. You can't do anything without it. And uh, it's and the the reason it takes so long to uh, for it to heal is because it's not a lot of blood flow that goes through that area, goes through that little tendon. So um, uh, that's all recovery and um, and healing your body. That's how your your body heals faster through blood flow, and there's not a lot of blood flow that goes through that area down there. So that's why it takes six to eight months to get back. Well, they got you healed up after last year. Four games this year, four starts, four wins for the Chiefs. You're heading back to your home state of Texas, about 180 miles from where you grew up in Waco. How many tickets did you have to track down for Sunday night's game? You know what? I've, I've been good this time. i got about <laughs> 65 tickets this game. Oh, you know, geez. last year... Uh, in the last two years, it's been 85 to 90, so I'm actually doing pretty good right now. 
good. Do you do you get a discount when you buy that many? <laughs> Man, I wish they. They tell me, hey, you make. They're like, you make enough money. <laughs> Well, hey, there's a lot of excitement in Houston. They have a rookie quarterback in Deshaun Watson. How do you go up about preparing for a guy you've never faced before, a guy who doesn't have much NFL film, and a guy who seems to be doing whatever he wants to do so far in his NFL career? You know what? There's pros and cons to going against a rookie. Um, um, uh, the, 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 the con is, you know, he, he, he's still young. He's still learning. So uh, he's going to have some mistakes. Hopefully we can um, capitalize on those mistakes. Uh, but the pro about that is, you know, he he's he's getting better each week, and uh, hopefully uh, when we come down there, it's not the week for him to get better. But uh, he, he's a guy that uh, we respect him. He's 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 earning his respect every week he steps on the field. So young guy like that, I, my hats off to him. He, he's doing a great job right now. Your teammate Chris Jones told me a few weeks back that when getting ready to play the Eagles, Britt Reed had a drill where they were tackling the ball and they knocked the ball out. And, and, and Chris Jones had great success knocking the ball out and tackling the arm of Carson Wentz. Any special drills, any special things that you did to get ready to face a Deshaun Watson, who seems to be very adept at weaving through traffic and finding those openings? Well, uh, hopefully we can keep him in the pocket. Uh, it's going to be very hard for us to, uh, to contain this uh, young, um, uh, exciting quarterback. But uh, at the same time, um, 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 we, we take a lot of pride in playing defense, so it's going to be a great matchup for us. Um, um, we, we, I think our scheme is, is, is going to work well, but, you know, you always got to play the game, so we, we're going to see. Do you think your defense has gotten enough credit this year because everybody wants to talk about Kareem Hunt, Alex Smith, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey? You know what? This is a, the ultimate team game, and um, um, we're okay. We, we got a lot of high character guys on our defense, and and we'll get our we'll get our uh, I, I guess our our, um, our credit in due time. Um, but our job is to play defense, and knowing that this is the ultimate team game, and and our offense is going to need us at times, and we're going to need them at times. And my man, my hats off to Kareem Hunt and Alex Smith and what they've been doing, man. I'm I'm, I'm loving it. I love to see those guys. Um, I hope they score 100 points, you know. When did you know Kareem Hunt was going to be special? Because if Spencer Ware doesn't injure his knee, you know, Kareem Hunt may still be a guy that's just getting a handful of touches a game at most. That's exactly right. Um, but that, that's what football is all about. It's all about um, opportunities and uh, seizing the moment. And he's a guy that we knew was pretty good. I mean, I'm, honestly, to tell you, we knew he was good. But didn't know he was <laughs> he was going to be a leading rusher uh, four weeks into the year and and on a pace for two thousand yards and all this. No, we didn't know that. But I tell you what, that that just tells you what the scouting department uh, at the Chiefs are doing and 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 how well they are by scouting talent. And uh, I'm glad he's on my team. There's another rookie playing in the game Sunday night for the Texans who played at your alma mater, got 2,000 yards last year, Deontay Foreman. You come across him. Does he get any type of consideration because he played at Texas, or does he does he get it as hard as anybody else would? Well, you know, <laughs> you know what? He, he's a guy that's uh, um, that's um, he, he's in a two-back system. He doesn't get as many carries uh, right now, but he is part of the game plan. Um, but, you know, the, the old board against the young board. I'll, I'll, I'll be all right with me. We'll, we'll meet up. We'll, we'll meet up in a hole uh, a few times. But uh, I tell you what, he, he's a guy that's um, uh, I think can run. Um, uh, a guy that's um, uh, that has breakaway speed. A guy that can run over you and give you a little move. So 
Um, trust me, when he's in the game, he, it's not just any kind of running back. I know who he is. I've been watching Texas football for a while. So uh, <laughs> trust me, when, uh, when, when he's out there, when Deontay's out there, with, you know, I'll, I'll give him a little wink. Hey, Derek, before I let you run to your massage, I don't want to get in the way of you getting your body ready for Sunday night. But you guys have a couple of big games coming up. Texans, then Steelers, and you got the short week trip to the Raiders. How do you feel, year 13, about playing on Sunday, and it's going to be a tough, hard game against the Steelers, and then packing it up going to Oakland and playing on Thursday night? The short week dynamic, where, where do you come down on that? Uh, you know, this old body does not like that at all, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that that um that's a quick turnaround. I mean, um, to actually get get ready for, for, for a Sunday game, um, usually everybody's bodies don't come back until that Friday, uh, like today. And um, uh, for us to play on a Thursday, it's just it's just something you just have to deal with. And um, it's a short week. And even though it's tough on the team, it's tough on the opponent too. So, you know, both, both teams are going through it. So uh, hopefully it'll equal out. You know, it's amazing. Players are all over the map on this. And one of the best responses I ever got, Derek, was – Ask me after the game, and I'll tell you how I feel about Thursday Night Football. If we win, I love it. If we lose, I hate it. You know what? That is the best answer ever. Well, hey, Derek, you guys are one of the best Kansas City Chiefs teams ever. Keep it up. Great talking to you, pal, and uh, congratulations on all your success, and good luck on Sunday night against the Texans. Thanks a lot, my man. All right, thanks again to Derek Johnson for some of his time. Didn't want to keep him from his massage. I had a lot more I wanted to ask him about. 10 minutes, I think. I don't want to keep a man from his massage. You're 13, trying to get his body right. I don't be responsible for any failure of Derek Johnson to be ready to go when they're chasing around Deshaun Watson on Sunday Night Football. And it should be a great, great game. And I'm not just saying that because it's on NBC. Because last week when it was called Seahawks, I refused to participate in any effort to hype. Not that there was one. I'm not saying I was recruited by NBC to hype the game. But I'm not going to just, just because of the NBC game. Oh, hey, Colts, Seahawks, I can't wait. Chiefs, Texans, I can't wait. Chiefs, Texans. And, and the Chiefs, oh my goodness. Hey, if they're the best team in the AFC, we will know by week 10. Because at Texans, Steelers, at Raiders on a short week, Broncos on a Monday night, at Cowboys. Bang, bang, bang. Some great games coming up for the Kansas City Chiefs. And some real tests. And 4-0, and I, I, I hate to say this, I think 4-0 and is going to be 4-1. and I think the Texans beat them on Sunday night. Steelers have already won this calendar year at Arrowhead Stadium. It could be 4-2. and Raiders will be loaded and primed and ready. And they may have Derek Carr back. There's a chance that October 30, the night before Halloween, the Chiefs are hosting the Broncos in a game that is aimed at ending a three-game losing streak. And that's the thing about an NFL season. We love to set our narratives. We love to, to come to conclusions. We, we hate to go back and have to revisit and rethink. Isn't that weird how we are? We all do it. Fan, I did it when I was just a fan. I do it now that I'm just a whatever it is that I am. And... I, I, you know, I, I, I like to, we like to get things finished and kind of set them aside. It's like, all right, I've, I've already got my opinions formulated. I've got my takes fully baked as it relates to this team, but you got to be ready. You got to be ready to rip up everything that you thought you knew about a team and change it any given week, every given week. And, and also 
you, you have to be willing to factor aberrations into your analysis because sometimes you just lose a game. Doesn't mean you're going to lose five in a row. Sometimes you lose, and you're still a good team. And I think the Chiefs very easily could lose on Sunday night but still end up being at the top of the conference when it's all said and done. Some of the other games coming up on Sunday. Jets-Browns, let me tell you, if the we are getting closer and closer to a point where the Texans will be playing the Browns. And the story of the week will be Deshaun versus Deshaun. And specifically, did the Browns pick the wrong Deshaun? That's Sunday, October 22nd, two weeks from now. No, not even that. It's next week. I misread the schedule. Next week, Sunday, October 15, week six, Browns at Texans, Deshaun versus Deshaun. And remember last year, the Browns leaked some cockamamie explanation for why they traded down with the Eagles when the Browns held the second overall pick and the Eagles traded up to get Carson Wentz. The Browns, however they assessed Carson Wentz, they concluded he wasn't going to be one of the top 20 quarterbacks in the NFL. I think they need to reassess. I, I think their quarterback assessment isn't among the top 20 in the NFL. I think that that's that's for damn sure. That That's proven time and again. When you have 26, 27 names on the back of a jersey of all the starting quarterbacks since you came back to the league as an expansion team in 1999, yeah, your, your quarterback assessment methods are flawed to say the least. And that and, and 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 get ready for it. Get ready get ready for someone either locally or nationally to report coming up why the Browns did not stay put at the 12th overall pick and take Deshaun Watson. And and what they ultimately got out of it, a low first round pick this year and what will be a low first round pick next year. Is it worth it for those stockpiling picks? Is it really worth it when you pass on a guy who quickly is becoming the kind of franchise quarterback that makes you a contender every single year that he's playing in the NFL? So Browns have the Jets this weekend. Browns lose at home to the Jets and fall to 0-5. That's not good, and it's definitely not good as they're getting ready to head to Kansas City. Not Kansas City. I'm looking at Chiefs-Texans. Head to Houston to take on the Texans next Sunday. Deshaun v. Deshaun. Other games of the weekend that, and, and they're all, I mean, I pay attention to all of them this time of year because they all have meaning except for uh, Chargers-Giants. Other than that, Panthers-Lions, arguably the game of the day, 3-1 and one versus 3-1. and one. Another chance for the Lions to show that that they belong, that they are indeed for real. And, uh, you know, they, they, they could be and should be 4-0. and oh. I, I still go back and look at that last play of the game against the Falcons. And, and I understand it was the right application of the rule, but it, it sure looked like that should have been a touchdown. It just feels like the Lions got screwed out of a win over the Falcons. And uh, the Lions, uh, you know, it's, hey, it's, a, it's, it's on them for making it that close. If you're a, a really good team, you, you don't let it be that close. And the Lions have... The Panthers, and then they go to New Orleans, and then they have their bye week. And, and oh my goodness, a Monday night visit from the Pittsburgh Steelers. A, a reunion of the, of the Phil Luckett, you said heads game from 1998, Thanksgiving Day. Jerome Bettis, the, the fateful coin toss 
that changed the coin toss procedures because uh, Luckett got it wrong. The Lions got the ball to start overtime when they should have been kicking off, and the Lions won the game with a field goal. So they've got, oh, no, that's a Sunday night game. I should be hyping that better. That's a Sunday night game, not a Monday night game. Um, Yeah. Oh, that's even better. Then they go to Green Bay the following Monday. So we'll find out coming up late October, early November, what the Lions are made of. After Carolina and New Orleans bye week, Steelers Monday, Sunday night football. I keep doing that. Steelers Sunday night football at Packers Monday night football. So uh, I like the Lions to run to four and one. And uh, I think I think they're going to be a team that that is a factor and a force this year. And the real question is, can they win a playoff game for the first time since 1991? Titans, Dolphins, there's talk that Marcus Mariota may play game time decision. I think they're just trying to to get the Dolphins thinking and get the Dolphins wasting time on preparing for Matt Castle versus Marcus Mariota. I think it's going to be Castle. You don't want to take chances with that hamstring. And I also think that the Titans are confident enough in their defense, but for what they did last week when they gave up 57 points to the Texans, that they can slow down the Dolphins and and maybe Matt Castle and company can emerge with a victory. Bills, Bengals, test for the Bills. You know, hey, Bills, you want respect, you got respect. Now you got to go out and not blow it. Going to Cincinnati against a 1-3 and three Bengals team that can't afford to lose many more games if they want to be regarded as a contender. This is an opportunity for the Bills to show that last week's win at Atlanta wasn't a fluke. So Buffalo at Cincinnati, a sneaky great game in that 1 o'clock window on Sunday. Jaguars-Steelers, look, it depends on which Jaguars team shows up. They are the epitome of their helmet. They're two-colored helmet because it's two different teams. And you don't find out which team it is until the game starts. They've been dominant twice. They've been not dominant twice. And I don't care how well they're playing. It's not going to be easy to win at Pittsburgh. Although, one of my favorite facts regarding this series and any series, the Jaguars, a rare team to win in Pittsburgh twice in the same year, 2007. They won there in the regular season, and they won there in the postseason. And that was last year the Jaguars were actually in the playoffs. Cardinals-Eagles, opportunity for Philly to continue to prove that it belongs at the top of the NFC East. If you're a great team, you win the games you're supposed to win. Arizona trying to establish that that their struggles are something they can overcome early in the season. I don't think they can. But before I fully believe in the Eagles, and, and I have picked them to win the division, I picked them to win this weekend, I want to see them get it done against a Cardinals team that that, that has played them tough at times in the past. Uh, I recall not that long ago, Larry Fitzgerald having a heck of a game against the Eagles in Philadelphia. And I believe the Cardinals won that game. I'm looking at my trusty record and fact book at the series. The last time they played 2015 in Philadelphia, Arizona won 40 to 17. Now that was Chip Kelly and company, but still 40 to 17. The Cardinals won the game. And then the Cardinals won the year before in Arizona, 24 to 20. The Cardinals have won four of the last, no, three of the last four and five of the last seven times. And that dates back to the NFC Championship game in 2008. Of course, many differences between the teams then and now, but Larry Fitzgerald won constant, and uh, that guy's just unstoppable even at at his 14th season in the NFL. Late games, Seahawks-Rams, excited very much about that one. Rams are 4-2 and two against the Seahawks since the Seahawks won Super Bowl 48, and those were all games played when the Rams were average at best. The Rams are now good. 
They're going to have the throwbacks, the greatest show on turf, the the, the 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 version of it that won a Super Bowl, not when they, they went gold the next year and they never won another Super Bowl. This is the yellow and blue Rams, and uh, they face a Seahawks team that, that wants to stay on the right side of 500, and this is one of those two-game swing divisional games where you're either both going to be 3-2 and two or one's going to be 4-1 and one and the other one's going to be 2-3. and three. So a huge game for the Rams if they want to be at the top of the division when it's all said and done. Packers-Cowboys, that's the Fox game late afternoon window, the only 425 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. So that's going to be 100% of the country getting Packers-Cowboys with probably a few exceptions here or there. And last year, it was week six when the Cowboys proved that they were back when they went to Green Bay and won. That was the game, and I remember it. It's like, hey, because, hey, do you believe in the Cowboys? I'll believe in them if they beat the Packers. They got to go to Lambeau. You go to Lambeau and beat the Packers, I'll believe in the Cowboys. They went to Lambeau and beat the Packers. So, okay, I believe in the Cowboys. This year, do you believe in the Cowboys? Well, if the Packers come in and beat them in their own building, I don't believe in the Cowboys. So this is a great litmus test for what kind of year it's going to be for the Cowboys. They shouldn't have lost at home to the Rams last week. They were up 24-13 in the second quarter, and it all fell apart. This week... If they blow it at home to the Packers, the Packers, I think, then emerge as the best team in the conference, the team to beat. I think they already were. Cowboys become a team that has to scramble and scratch and claw. And I think this Ezekiel Elliott, this pending suspension, and it's got me now. I'm going to try to multitask here and make sure that there hasn't been a decision because courts are notorious for some late afternoon Friday decisions. I, uh, I think that it's a distraction for Elliott, and I think it's affecting the offense, having this unresolved litigation. And if if the Cowboys had Ezekiel Elliott for the full year and he knew he was going to be there for the full year, I think it would be different. But because the, the NFL has decided to handle Elliott's case differently than the league handled Tom Brady two years ago, remember two years ago when Tom Brady won an injunction blocking his suspension, the league didn't fight that decision. The league continued to fight the lawsuit and ultimately prevailed in its argument that the suspension was valid, but the league didn't try to go over the head of the district court that issued the injunction. That's what the league's done now. They had a hearing on Monday in New Orleans. They're awaiting a decision, but I just feel like either way, they need to clear this cloud. Go ahead and start the six-game suspension because every game that happens before the six-game suspension. It's almost kind of like a quasi-suspension. So or just serve the six games and be done with it or or make it clear that it's not going to be served this year so Elliot can, can forget about it and understand that if he serves it, it will be next year. But as of this moment, as of right now, no decision yet. But I don't rule out the possibility of a decision from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit by the end of the business day on Friday, which is today. All right, that brings us to the end of the line here. We've done our week five preview. Thanks again to Derek Johnson for some of his time. Enjoy the weekend and tune in for Football Night in America, 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC, leading into Chiefs-Texans, a great, great game coming up Sunday Night Football. We'll do the PFT PM podcast again on Monday, assuming that I get home at a reasonable hour from the weekend NBC duties. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. And all weekend long, profootballtalk.com. you got to check us out on Sundays. It's the perfect companion to your actual football watching day because we'll have like 100 stories a day on Sundays. 
with everything that's happening, all the reaction, all of the, the, the press conferences, anything that comes out of that that's interesting, the things that happen during the games, statistical oddities that, that come out later in the day, anything and everything you would want to know about the NFL, profootballtalk.com, all day long on Sunday. I know you're not working on Sunday for the most part, and you only go to the Internet sites that you like to read when you're at work and you're on someone else's time, but take some of your own time on Sunday. Feel free to enjoy PFT on, on a day when you're not otherwise uh, procrastinating for the things that you need to be doing while you're at work. So thanks again, and we'll do this again Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.